Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, my name is Alex Markley, and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 713. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yes, well, we another show. Yes, that is good. I'll tell you what's coming today's show. One story, I Am the Grass by Jeff Summers. That is all coming into this show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, this story is an original to Starship Sova. Jeff Summers began writing by court order as an attempt to steer his creative impulses away from engineering genetic grotesqueries. He has published nine novels, including the Avery Kites series and the Utari Cycle series, as well as over 50 short stories, including Ringing the Changes, which was selected for the inclusion in Best American Mystery Stories 2006. He is a contributing editor at the Writer's Digest magazine, which has also published his book on craft of writing, Writing Without Rules. He lives in Hoboken, I think that's right, with his wife, the Duchess and their cat. He considers pants to always be optional. Now, this story is narrated by Mike Boris. Mike's a long-time fan of the show and always happy to record a story for the sofa. He narrated Adam Troy Castro's Of Sweet Slow Dance in the Wake of Temporary Dogs 670 episodes ago. 
In 2009, which was oral delights, number 87, he's an IT consultant, an e-learning narrator over in the colonies, and his neighbour still thinks the soundproof booth in his basement is for recording. So far, so good. He's got a wife. He's got a wife. He's got a wife, kids, cats, and all that. Okay, that's enough about Mike. On with the day show. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. I Am the Grass by Jeff Summers. Read to you by Mike Boris. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Alex Markley, and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks! The cats were the worst part. I fucking hate the cats. They're everywhere. At night, they crowd in under me, dozens of them purring and mewling. Pennsylvania is a lot bigger than you might imagine. It's fucking huge. And it's not where I thought I'd be spending my final few centuries while my solar cells degrade and my batteries slip through their finite charge cycles. Fucking Pennsylvania, man. Before I'd been sleeved, you couldn't have paid me to go to goddamn Pensy, much less settle here. I'd first heard about Eat the Rich when I was in high school. Failing in slow motion, starting each year actually further back than the last, which my dad, shrinking in his floppy clothes and his fart-scented easy chair at home, considered quite a feat. Not the song, the movement. That was when I really noticed Miles Puck because he was always on the web to talk about the latest Eat the Rich event. They would be rolling the file footage of those people in the black suits and their clown masks, the only file footage anyone seemed to have. And Miles Puck would talk about their latest atrocity. Miles Puck sat easy and relaxed and was tan and healthy-looking on the TV screen. And he just sat, 
He didn't fidget and smiled a lot. Dad told me Miles Puck was rich. He had been born rich, and he had gotten richer. I asked Dad what rich meant, and Dad said, Not us. Puck would talk about the rule of law, about how he and his fellow high-income citizens paid more than their fair share of taxes and had worked hard for their good fortune, and that Eat the Rich had crossed the line from amusing antisocial club to terrorist organization. And then ETR would email a response, always a creepy guy in a black suit and a clown mask, but he would be lucid and smart and make his case. The rich were parasites. They had more than their fair share and were accumulating more as we spoke, and if they wouldn't give it up, they would be removed from the equation. In high school, he was all pretty fucking amusing. We gathered on the street corner at night to share out a pint of awful brandy. <laughs> Get a little buzzed. We'd shoot dice to see who was taking Tim home. Tim, who didn't have any place to sleep. Dad didn't like it when Tim came, because we only had one room as it was, and Tim seemed to fill more than half of it. But then we did have one room, and Tim had no rooms, so Dad usually lost the argument. On the street corners, we made fun of Miles Puck. We imitated his pinched little accent. We speculated on his sexual orientation, prowess, and O-face. We dared him to visit our neighborhood and tell us about the rule of fucking law. <laughs> A hot drop, you are informed approximately 15 minutes before they sleeve you into the Mark 15 that will be your home for the rest of your life, or the next three years, whichever comes first is when you are pushed out of a plane, flying at a height of 10,000 feet or so, and plummet to the earth below. Our training included about 15 minutes of how to land properly, which amounted to not on your head. I have to admit it, the first time I sleeved into a Mark 15, I felt like a goddamn god. I'd never been much of an athlete. I once showed up for the wrestling team in sophomore year, and the coach spent 15 minutes talking about training every day, hours and hours, and special diets and a commitment and sweat equity and holy shit. I walked out and went around to the parking lot to smoke a cigarette and contemplate death. But the Mark 15, you were 16 feet tall. You could crush a car in one fist, fire scrambler rockets, and 150,000 rounds of armor-piercing steel-jacketed ammunition. You could reach a running speed on a flat surface of about 55 miles an hour, and you had a vertical leap of over 30 feet. All assuming your batteries were early in their discharge cycles and your solar cells were still high-functioning. The moment they sleeved me in for the first time during training, I was sold. I stopped resenting the press units in the draft. I stopped prompting my training officer to smack me in the nose with smart remarks. I stopped trying to fail all my aptitude tests. The second I sleeved in and felt that strong, I wanted to live there. And now I do. I don't sleep is the second worst thing. At night, running on minimum solar cell voltage, it's sort of like sleep. My systems go into sleep modes, but every 15 minutes they cycle up and take the temperature and make sure I'm not in danger, and my consciousness never really shuts down. Not anymore. So I hear everything, the fucking cats purring and mewling, 
the grass growing, twining into my limbs, the logs rotting, the rabbits and squirrels running around and fucking and fighting. It's all the same. I don't sleep, but at night I'm blind and deaf in waves. When you're a kid, you think of Miles Puck as just this fleshy trillionaire who wears smart glasses. So his eyes are always dancing when he's being interviewed, like he's got something wrong with him when he's really just scanning his stock prices and watching porn while devoting the minimal amount of attention to the interview. Then you get a little older and get a job at the gas up on the corner of Lincoln and Marbury, getting paid $60 an hour plus one gallon of gasoline a week. This makes you the richest person your friends know who is also starving to death. $60 an hour, 10 hours a day, and you bring home one bowl of ramen with a hunk of mystery meat in it, probably dog meat. You give most of it to your dad and watch him eat while the fumes of hunger make your eyes water. Ten hours a day, in a fog of hunger and thirst and boredom, you start reading. The job also gives you Internet access, the first time you've ever had it regularly, and you start learning about Miles Puck just by contact, because he is everywhere. Developing technologies to solve the water crisis in the western United States, assuming he can get something tangible in place before everyone has moved away and left nothing but dusty wildfires. Developing technology to reboot extinct crops wiped out by genetic plagues, like corn, and feed the world. Setting up a billion-dollar grant for bright ideas to lower the world's temperature by three degrees in 50 years. And his own private research into experimental physics to solve the energy crisis. Because Miles Puck believes the solution is out there, in space, if only we could reach it. After three months on the job, your back aches from standing all day, and you've started stealing a single candy bar from the counter every day just to stay alive. You get about three customers a day paying $1,000 for a tank of gas with black credit cards and speeding off. And you know someday it'll be the owner, or his people, come to arrest you for theft. But without those candy bars, you'd be dead already. Sleeved in, there's no pain, exhaustion, hunger, or discomfort of any kind. It's not exactly the same as feeling nothing. Your senses still feed data to your brain. So you see things and smell things and feel things. But the Mark 15 just filters out unnecessary data. And your body is somewhere else anyway, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand miles away, linked to your Mark 15 as you lay dormant, fed by tubes and surrounded by clicking droids and other comatose soldiers. Instead of pain, you have a floating field of icons in your vision, superimposed over everything you see and fading in and out depending on context. One of them lights up red and angry, you should pay attention. Most of our training circles back to this fact. Pay attention to red, angry icons in your visuals. Follow the step-by-step -step instructions. Everything had already been done for you in a graphics-based interface that didn't discriminate against the uneducated, the non-English speaking, or the stupid. The first I heard of Miles Puck's sustainable energy project, I was in the waiting room with Dad, who was dying. Had been dying for years in slow motion. But like a truck being pushed up a hill, he'd gotten to the top of something and was now crashing downward, burning up. We arrived at three in the morning and were informed there was a 15-hour wait, at best. They had a screen on, looping through the news. 
I learned a very tiny bit about Miles Puck's experiment a few hundred times that night, while Dad died next to me. It was an okay death. He was sleeping. He seemed peaceful. One second he was snoring, the next he was dead. It took me a few minutes to get anyone interested in this event. A muted attempt at resuscitation was made, and while they worked, I stared at the screen again, because I didn't want to see Dad being pushed and prodded while the EMTs laughed and joked. I didn't understand the science. Puck had a theory about gravity. They kept showing a rubber sheet with a bowling ball sitting in the middle, and ball bearings being rolled at it. The bearing zoomed around the bowling ball. Then Puck would be talking, eyes dancing, saying something about puncturing the rubber sheet. None of it made any sense. I just walked out of the waiting room. Dad didn't have any religion, and he told me not to bother with a ceremony or a burial. The clinic would cremate him, which was all good because there wasn't any money for anything else. When the sun hit my solar panels, my autonomous systems went through an automatic check, returning values and icons for all of my subsystems. Most were still yellow or green. A few had gone red. The blinking red idiot icon was always there, too, reminding me that there was a puncture in two separate lines that fed my limbs with power. It had been blinking when I landed. It had been blinking in the air. I didn't recall before that, but I had a suspicion it had been blinking from the moment I sleeved in, glorying in the power and the lack of pain and thinking of all the lespri I was going to slaughter. A god in a metal suit, sixteen feet tall and spraying scramblers at anything that moved. I made it 23 steps. After checks, my systems went dormant again. The cats ambled off to hunt and sun themselves. The grass grew a little more. My knee joint, the knee joint of the Mark 15, was bent and still a few inches above the grass line, but I was in a clearing created by my own crash landing, and old growth surrounded me. My sensors told me pollen counts, ambient temperature, humidity, approximations of smell based on chemical analysis, and nearby life forms, which were all small, mostly warm-blooded and unconcerned about me. My checks showed me green on my auditory sensors. But I wondered, because it was so silent. The day of the Sun 10 disaster, I was at work. $60 an hour and 13 hours a week, and I was on the street. When Dad had died, we'd lost his old-age housing subsidy, and I was forced to move out. But at least I was eating a few days a week. I asked about working full-time and beyond. I'd have gladly lived at the station. But there weren't enough sales, and the gas deliveries had been spotty. I was lucky to have 13 hours. Watching the coverage of Puck's big deal was boring. The experiment was being conducted in a cinder-block building in the middle of Death Valley. So the coverage consisted of a static shot of the building, painted white with the numerous vehicles parked around it. The commentators kept repeating that several hundred thousand people were living through a blackout in order to give Puck's lab the power it needed to run the SUS-10 experiment. I happened to be staring slack-jawed at the screen the moment the Lesprey appeared. I remember the screen went black for a moment, but there was still audio, and the commentators screamed. Then the video came back, and where the building had been was a hole, a huge hole, a crater, a mile across, inky black. There was no debris, no fire, no smoke, nothing that looked like the aftermath of an explosion, just a deep crater. 
For a second or two, there was just silence, and the sound of the unseen commentator holding a breath. Then, like a video of black ball bearings pouring down a drain in reverse, they came. The Lesprey died when separated from the herd, so we didn't have any real ones to train with. We just had simulations. The Mark 15s made that easy. They sleeved you in, but diverted your sensory load to a computer program that fed you ginned-up data. We were assured the Sims were based on the observed behavior, tactics, and reaction times of the Lesprey, that it was all very accurate, that if we kicked ass in the Sims, we would be kicking ass on the field. Confidence was high. The Lesprey were four-legged creatures with tough, leathery hides and a bimanual torso that formed in their front. Their arms were more like tentacles, but incredibly strong. They all wore armor that appeared to be made from bone, but it wasn't their bone, as they didn't have any. Their tech was advanced, including shoulder-mounted automatic-style weapons that spat long, sharp, thorn-like projectiles at you that could pierce armor within fifty yards. They worked in herds and were divided into packs, thousands in a herd, hundreds in a pack, and their tactic was to swarm. They avoided organized resistance and would immediately disengage if possible and swarm to less defended areas. And they kept pouring out of the hole and pouring out and pouring out. Initial engagements had gone poorly. Infantry was helpless, as the Lesprey dwarfed humans in scale and weight and ferocity. Armored units had been more effective, but the Lesprey were too fluid and fast, detouring around tanks and other armor and regrouping. The Mark 15s were designed to combine flexibility and speed with size and mass, based on designs that Miles Puck himself had created for the military divisions of his company. The militaries of the world sent in their elite, their best-trained, most experienced men and women, the killers, the kidnappers, and wetworks folks, who were not only not intimidated by the Lesprey, they were eager to get in there. After they were all dead, the militaries called up every reservist and veteran, the factories were all retrofitted to build Mark 15s, and a massive assault was organized. After they were all dead, the press units were formed. When they came from me, I ran. Not far enough or hard enough. It was right before the Hope Assault. Everything was empty and there was no way to blend in. If you were walking upright with most of your limbs and digits, you were press material. Billy Quandris had survived by living in a shipping container he'd buried in his yard. The summer before the assault, it was over a hundred degrees every day for two weeks, and he crept out looking thin and gray, and he tried to get by faking a missing leg, bending at the knee and using an old belt to strap it up, hopping around everywhere. They caught him, ran him down and trussed him up, tossed him in the back of a truck like firewood. They found me upstate hiding in a warehouse. I'd been eating rats and drinking rainwater collected in a rusty drum. I'd lost 14 pounds and had lice. I was probably getting scurvy, some instinct told me. Still, I ran when the floods kicked on and the gray uniforms swarmed. Fat old men and women sweating bullets and panting from the effort. All the young people already sucked up into the hole, which had become a maw, a mouth sucking the world dry for bodies. The old folks in the press units had that haunted look. It was getting harder and harder to find young people like me. They were going next. They knew it, but refused to talk about it. The Hope Assault 
There was no official code name for it. The media made that one up, seeking, as always, a catchy name to sell it. The Hope Assault. The goal was to drive Delesri back into the hole that Puck had created, to encircle the megaherd with every single Mark 15 we had in service, and every armored division, every Hummer and troop transport and fire truck and sled and 10-speed bicycle, and tighten the circle while we rain death from above. Though the Lesbri had a disturbing tendency to survive direct missile hits, and squeeze until we pushed them back down the hole, and then we were gonna nuke the hole. That was the plan. That was the hope assault. I was eager. Why not be? I'd be sleeved in, not really there. It was like a game, really. I got to be God for a little while, flying and running, huge, impervious, powerful, until a pack took me down, tore at me, fired those thorns into my chassis, until too much damage had been done. Then I'd sleeve out, wake up a hundred miles away, fit as a fiddle, and haven't done my part. Sometimes, when I came back to myself, it was almost like waking up, except for the instantaneousness of it. One second, a dull nothing, the next, all systems go. And that blinking red icon still warning me about punctured lines, mocking me. A black bear is using me as a scratching post, huffing and snorting as it rubs its back up against my shoulder. My sensors tell me it's warm and that it stinks. Carefully measured vibrations are reported, proximity icons are flashing, and I'm informed I have insufficient battery power to arm and fire weapons. The black bear grunts in apparent satisfaction. The tree cover above me is thicker every time I notice it. The branches are getting thicker, repairing the damage of my landing. The air is full of bird songs. My fine sensors report only 53% functionality, but still fill my data streams with the wriggling of worms and the scuttling of beetles in the mulch I'm slowly sinking into, measured at 3 centimeters per annum. The hot drop was the single greatest moment of my life. We tumbled out of the carrier ship and plummeted, gravity reaching up and yanking us down. The wind buffeted you and the air got hot, but none of it mattered because for the first time you were free and sleeved in control and unrestrained. For the first time I was truly a god, a giant, a force of fucking nature. The feeling was incredible. I spun in place and put out my huge heavy arms, slowing myself magically and watching my fellows rocket downward. Then I flipped into a diving position and zoomed downward, racing after them. If the Mark 15 had vocalization subroutines, I would have shouted in pure joy. I landed a few hundred feet from my ideal impact zone, which was nothing to worry about. A few other Mark 15s had already landed and were already on the move and climbing out of the craters and heading for the muster point. I pulled myself up and out and stood for a moment. I was in a forested area, the bright sun dimmed by branches. Above me was the circular clearing I'd created crashing through. I watched my diagnostics scroll past. The red icon was like a tiny heart, beating. Distant, my audio was picking up the initial clash. I forced myself to relax, to dissociate like I'd been trained, to simply will myself into motion. The Mark 15 moved smoothly, taking a step, then another. A steady stream of data flowed into my sensors, resolving into perceptions I could handle and interpret. The red icon pulsed steadily. I ignored it. I was being left behind and wanted to start swinging these massive arms, firing volleys of rockets and watching them tear through a pack of Lesprey, tear through anything, destroy everything, go on a rampage. 
Two more steps, and suddenly I felt heavy. More red icons in my visuals. I panicked. I could sense energy draining out of me, every movement becoming more difficult. I raised one leg and froze. For one second I was balanced, my senses crowding my stream with alarms, red everywhere. And then I toppled backwards, my visual cutting out completely. The grass had been shorter then. For a while I remembered the sound of the battle, the high-pitched screech of the lesprey, the explosions, the way the ground under me vibrated. I ran diagnostics. I sent emergency signals back to the data center where my body lay in a pod fed by tubes. I remembered noticing the distant sounds of combat growing dimmer. Slowly, things went quiet. I remembered waiting. Waiting for something. Anything. News. Retreat. A second wave. Nothing came. And here I am. Roots twining into my limbs. Industrious molds trying to get a hold on my outer shell. A forest closing in around me like a scab over a wound. My solar cells report enough activity to keep me sleeved indefinitely. I haven't seen a human being, a lesprey, or detected a signal from anywhere in 16 months. The sun rose. My systems booted. The grass was higher. The sun set. The temperature dropped. The cats crowded in beneath me, mewling. The sun rose. The end. And there you go. Jeffrey, sir, big thank you to Jeff Summers. That is an awesome story. And Mike, always a pleasure, sir. Never a chore. Mike, thank you so much. It is an honour. Honestly, I love having you on the show. Thank you so much indeed, lad. So that is it. Like I say, it's 713 put to bed. If I get the cup out, get the tin cup out and rattle a few coins. If you want to kind of support us on Patreon to keep bringing stories like this, that would be fantastic. Until next week, just like I say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here. Best I'm moving slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you.
catch myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and Hello, my name is Alex Markley, and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks! Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.